Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest for this special Friday bonus episode is Mark O'Brien, an actor and filmmaker you may know from Republic of Doyle, Halt and Catch Fire, End of Days Incorporated, or How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. He's also in Denis Villeneuve's Oscar contender Arrival, which comes to Blu-ray, 4K, and DVD this Tuesday, February 14th. Mark picked The Game, David Fincher's 1997 thriller starring Michael Douglas as a wealthy but isolated investment banker whose brother enrolls him in a meticulously calculated role-playing experience that promises to change his life or destroy it completely. After the heaviness of Alien 3 and 7, it felt maybe like a less momentous picture from Fincher, but 20 years on, it seems to slot in nicely as the transition point between those films and Fight Club and Panic Room. Or maybe that's just what Consumer Recreation Services wants us to think. This is someone else's movie. Well, David Fincher is my favorite director. I love film noir. Noir films are my favorite from like the 40s. Yeah. And, and some of the 50s. 40s and 50s. And uh, I love a movie where everyone seems to be in on something. I love a movie where it's the conspiracy of like what exactly is happening. And I like it when there's not too many outcomes. And in the game, it's either a game or it's not. Right. And it, you go back and forth and back and forth. And the best movies, like, um, one of my favorite books is is Ian Forster's book, Aspects on the Novel, mm-hmm. which is all about writing. You know, Ian Forster's a famous writer. Sure. And, and in it, he says, he's like, every character, every time you read something, you should want to turn the page so bad because you need to know what's going to happen. And it surprises you, but when it surprises you, it still makes sense that it happened. Right. So the game is full of that. I need to watch every scene. Because I'm like, I need to know what happens next. I need to know what happens next. And you keep getting bits and bits of information, and it's still not quite there yet. And then, and then it twists you in one direction, it twists you in another direction. My favorite DP shot at Harris Savetti's, who's now passed. Yeah. Michael Douglas, one of my favorite actors. Sean Penn is, I love that he, I love it when big stars do like a smaller role, like Tom Cruise and Magnolia, like stuff like that. Sean yeah. Penn in the game is great. Deborah Kara Unger, he classed like a sort of a femme fatale but in a new age kind of femme fatale and also not that well known to audiences. So it was like, we, we don't know if we can trust her or not. Yeah, I mean, basically, there was Crash the year before and I think that was the only really major... Yeah. Vancouver actress. Yeah, world outside. Exactly, of. yeah. And so for, I think, the femme fatale, you can't cast in that role Sharon Stone. We know her too well. Right. You know what I mean? It yeah. has to be someone who it's like, we don't know if we can trust her. And, you know, he went with a non-box office choice. With all due respect to her, I think she's incredible, Deborah Kara Unger, but she wasn't like a huge box office draw. Right, right. So I just respect that movie. I think it's lean. I think it's incredible. It has everything I want. The stylistically, it's the kind of style I love. I love a big city film. It's a weird noir mystery thriller um, in a way I've never seen it done before. And what was your first experience of it? When did you first see it? I went to see it. I'm from Newfoundland. I went to see it with my friend Jeff and his family. And I loved, uh, when I was younger, and I was starting to get into film, the first film that really shook me was because of a, of, of a performance, and that was Edward Norton in Primal Fear. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's a performance. I never thought of acting as a performance. I was only 12. And I didn't necessarily want to become an actor. I was just like, hmm. That was in 96, 97, the game came out. And I just the surprise ending thing. So after Primal Fear, which was a surprise ending, 
I was like obsessed with these surprise ending movies. Right. And that ending was just so great and just so spot on, but lean. And I love movies also that don't go on forever. That's why Whiplash was so good. And like, like movies that just end when it should end. Right, right. I mean, Rocky, I think, was one of the one of the famous ones for doing that where Stallone said, I'm not even a massive Rocky fan, I really respect it, but he was like, I wanted it to end on the perfect note of victory, his hands in the air, the music reaches its height, like we're at that point right. of that feeling of victory, whether you actually win or not. Well, it's that's that it, feeling. right? Yeah, because the yeah. high is more important that you feel in the theater. Yeah. If you walk out, it'll, it might even take you a minute to register that he didn't win the fight because exactly. everything else is, is fine. It feels like a victory and we don't need him five years later. Like in Lincoln, I remember when that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, but hey, Creed was screwed. Yeah, good. Rocky Balboa too. I yeah, can't, yeah. You can't knock those movies. You I try, can't. but they're like. And I thought he was going to win for Creed, but <laughs> but like like Lincoln, for example, and I love Spielberg, but that film, I, I should have ended. I thought when when the, the, the one of his servants like says thank you and he walks in the hallway and then we see him go to the theater yeah, we see him on the like, slab you feel the perfect ending and when it slides yeah. by you always know oh yeah and that's why I thought the game was like oh man great time to end she's in the car and she's like you know we could go get a cup of coffee and then white Jefferson Airplane comes on again oh it's just perfect and he pulls out to see the city and they're alone in it so can we actually trust this and that song is back on that was on in his, in his house when yeah. it was rated so it was like you're left with me like oh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I love that in movies ending quickly, and you're not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, and there's something about the game that it is like it's a it's a it's disreputable in a weird way. It's, yeah, it's a movie that doesn't want to be trusted. Yeah, um, I mean, I saw it with an audience, a preview audience in ninety in yeah ninety seven that didn't know what to do with Penn giggling in a limo. Yeah, like yeah, one yeah. moment where it goes on too long and he breaks. Yeah, and it's great because it kind of puts you on solid ground if you've been watching it as a puzzle movie. Yeah. But there were people around me going, what, what, what is he doing that? Like whispering and trying to figure it out and then the movie fishtails into something else. And I love the idea that the movie is telling me not to trust it. Yes. That the film is giving you a specific perspective on something and, you know, Fincher coming off of Seven, which was this heavy, crushing aesthetic experience. Yeah. Just being playful here, it felt... I don't know, like it took me a while to come around to the game in a way because it feels yeah. almost too lightweight after his other work. Yeah, and a lot of people think that. And, and look, like Fight Club made me want to make movies. So it, it had a different effect on me of like the fun of watching a film, but also, he, I mean, he famously always says that he, he thinks like that everyone's kind of perverted. Sure. And all those films have this kind of perverted feel, which is really interesting because it appeals to like our darker nature. But like, you're right, like, the fact that he's kind of playing with you, and I love Michael Haneke, mm-hmm. and Michael Haneke does it with, like, Funny Games and Cachet, and yeah. those, I love that, where you're like, I feel a little toyed with. Yeah. But at least that's sucking you in, like, David Lynch does that sometimes, and and when he sucks you in, like, Mulholland Drive is one of the most uh, hypnotic movies, like, you're like, I can't stop watching this weird fucking thing, and, like, why can't I turn it off? Yeah, and what does it want from me? Yeah. Like and that's I, that's and the I, pull of that film. Exactly. I think Villeneuve pulled it off with, he pulled it off with uh, Enemy, where you're like, wait, what? And, like, I can't stop, and I need to know, and why the ending, and, like, yeah. I, I, I love it. I mean, not every movie can do that, and it wouldn't work if it happened that way, but even, like, Arrival, it's like, I don't give away too much, but at the end, it's like, you're, you think you know, but you're like, I think... And the f- it's that feeling of, like, I think yeah. I know. Before you say I know, it's like, I think. 
that's what excites people. That's when people are like hooked. Yeah. And, and arrival, that's what hooked people towards the end when they're like, oh, I think it's Yeah. It's, it's a sense that something is coming but it's just out of reach, the way a, that it slips through your fingers yeah. or, or through your brain. And, yes. And with the game, it's a, it's the opposite, right? Because it's bringing you closer. It's like a freight train running towards the answer. Yeah. But it's also I mean, we can discuss. I'm, I'm like, I'm, even now, I'm trying to stop myself from talking about plot points in the game. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's 20 yeah. years old, people. You've seen it or you haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deal uh, with it. Yeah. Uh, pause, rent, watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the idea that you're watching an intervention play out yeah. in a way that is, is like, it's basically, a, it's not even a forced intervention. There are other movies that have done this sort of thing where yeah. it's like, we only want the best for this character and we're forcing him through hell. But the way. Fincher does it is so it's so elegantly set up to make you root for Douglas to fail. Yes, that's the thing that's different. It's a weird Scrooge almost kind of yeah. feel to it. I always felt like a Scrooge vibe with it, and that's the perversity and, you're talking and, about, right? Where you want the, you don't you almost don't want him to be redeemed. Yes, because it's more fun the other way. Exactly, and it's this weird perverted kind of thing. And 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 then like also you like you look at these like these old noirs, and I always loved. The villain being this rich kind of guy, like kind of in um, in the big heat. Right. Like it's like, yeah, I, I love it when the, the villain's like he's rich and has everything, and in a way, Michael Douglas is that. He's mm-hmm. kind of the villain. Yeah, he's not his, the good guy. Yeah, he's kind of he's, he's the villain of his own. He's the antagonist to his own protagonist in this weird way. It's like, it's really like a cut above in a lot of ways, and like Sean Penn drifting in. And out. I love those. Yeah, those. Big name actors come coming in and out because you, it's twisting our version of what they are. And Fincher does that so well, like Justin Timberlake being cast, yeah, casting. Um, um, uh, well, Affleck in Gone Girl, something. Affleck like and that. Gone, and what's his name in Gone Girl? Oh my God, uh, you know, Rich Super makes all the Medea movies. Uh, oh, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry, of course, being cast. Neil Patrick Harris, like his casting is so interesting because he spins. You can't help have a certain perception of someone. Mm-hmm. We all have this idea of what someone is. So if you can twist that, and Bennett Miller does it well too in like casting, you know, Steve Carell, sure, in, in Foxcatcher, Fox and casting Jonah Hill in Moneyball, and it's like, oh yeah, I never thought about them like that, and not in a way it's like, oh, let's totally go against the grain, like you know, casting Robin Williams in in Insomnia, which is great, but like, it's using it. It's using our perception a little. Yeah. And the game does that great. And Michael Douglas, we always do pictures. He's so classy. He's, his beautiful silver hair and everything. Like, he is this kind of, like, rich-seeming, crisp guy. Mm-hmm. And then to see it fall apart, we almost want to see him yeah. wake up in Mexico in a tomb. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's nice to see him. Yeah, he finally got ruffled after 40 fucking years. Yeah, like, and he spent half of the 80s going in that way too I mean like yeah. Fatal Attraction's character is not a good guy he's yeah. there to be punished yeah. um, and you know uh, Disclosure Falling Down, and falling down. these are all yeah. movies about he, he really relishes playing flawed characters even you know, like in Wall Street he's not the hero Yeah. but the idea that audiences love him and think that he is is something that he seems very conscious of and, or did at that window of time and yeah. really played against beautifully yeah um, so the and, casting is fantastic yeah. in every single way and, and then James Rebhorn and, and like He's really great, and then Arbor Mueller Stahl is in there too, and it's like, it's just, and Arbor Mueller Stahl is really interesting because he had just done Shine, where he played this, you know, abusive right, the father. Monster, the monster father, yeah. And then you see him as this totally kind of like almost emasculated guy who's like fired by him, but used to be friends with Michael Douglas's dad, and he's like, if your father could see you now. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, weird, because we just saw him as this guy who's nominated for Shine. We saw him as this abusive father. 
So even that's weird casting. Like, down to the very like bottom of it, he casts... Very interesting. And even at the end, he throws Spike Jones in there. That's right. Like even well, that nobody knew who that. No one knew, but it's not like, weird. It's like, and and he, it's like what I was just saying, where it's like the I think I yeah. know what it is. It's just like the moment when you think you know who the killer is in a, in a mystery, like murder mystery. You're like, <gasps> I think it's him. Then when you find out it's him, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah. It's the moment of like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my yeah. god. But and this gives you the murder on the Orient Express payoff, which is that it's everybody. It's everybody. It's literally right. everybody yeah, yeah, you've yeah. encountered. So which, it's yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny thing, man. How yeah. it can toy with you. Yeah, it's and it's also like it's like a heist movie in reverse. Yeah, it's, it's all of these things that I love about films that basically the the one issue I had at the time, which now after twenty years of Fincher feels less of a thing was that it is preposterous. It is completely... Oh, it's insane. Yeah. And I want to see that bill at the end, how much it costs. <laughs> I want to know how much the game, the CRS costs. I hope it's itemized. Like, yeah. It has, like, lunch well, dates that was with long. everybody. The, yeah. The, the contract But so long. specifically, not just, like, lunch with... Lunch at, but lunch with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Which groups and how... When he's at the gentleman, he's the, the club, and yeah. he's smoking cigars. Everything has to be accounted for. Every yeah. person, they have to know what side of the building to put the airbag on. Everything. My favorite moment of the film... When he walks in with Deborah, with uh, James Redhorn, and he walks into the cafeteria and sees all the players, yeah, it reminds me like I love JFK, right? Like when there's like players in a game, like I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> all of them, like oh my god, that's like uh, one of the movies I, I really want to make that I, I was trying to get the rights to for a while ago and kind of like drifted off was uh, this great Dashiell Hammett um, Nightmare Town short story like, you should read it man if you yeah, like the game it. read Nightmare Town it's fantastic it's kind of like you don't know you can trust. And it, and it's just yeah I I love that shit man I love it oh and another thing the score yeah score is almost like a pre eyes wide shut weird piano tinkling kind That's of thing true isn't it it's like there's no dinner it's just it's, annoying it's it weird. just pulls it yeah it's just yeah. like pre eyes wide shut I actually wonder if like Kubrick like I wouldn't be surprised because I never heard a score like that before the game it was weird score. Yeah, I can picture Kubrick in England having the Criterion Laserdiscs all sent to him. I picture too. Account, was, just, oh, yeah, that's cool. I could do that. And he was obsessed with other uh, directors and stuff. Kubrick would be on the phone with other directors for hours on end, and you know, and then he'd call and he'd get like friends to drive down and to the movie theater and, and call them on the payphone and see if there was a lineup around the corner. Like he was obsessed with work and yeah. getting it out there and other people's work. And like, it's weird because he's painted as this kind of like tyrant, but. He was a film lover. Yeah. They all are. He was just a recluse who watched everything. Yeah. And when you, I guess if you isolate yourself, you have more time for movies. I mean, that was part of it. I know. And that's what I I sometimes worry. I watch a movie every day and then sometimes I worry. I'm like, you know, my wife always gets mad because I'm ordering movies like every other day, like the physical copies. And she's like, my God, like we're running out of space. And then I get worried. I'm like, am I going to run out of movies to watch one day? (laughs) Like, never. I don't think there are because you get into a director and then you end up finding, oh, more. Oh, I got to see his other But that's why we stock up. Because yeah. they, they could run short. They that's why I do know. it. What if the mail collapses? What if like that's why a physical media and an electric generator and I'm good. Oh yeah, Fine. exactly. And I'm like, what? What if my connection <laughs> it goes out and I can't see the rest of the movie? I'm gonna go crazy. Or like, you know, when you discover a director, it's like there's nothing better. I think like I just discovered Joseph Losey, and I'm like, oh, wow. wow, like I hadn't seen King and Country and and uh, and The Prowler. I was talking to someone about it earlier, and and then like there's another one I I discovered recently, like. Oh, two years ago when I discovered, for me, um, Boon Jong-ho. Oh, Bond, 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 Bond. Yeah, I, Mr. Bond. Which yeah, is my favorite Mr. Or Director, Director Bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and like his stuff, like yeah. I'm like I watch Mother, and I'm like, my God, like how did I miss this guy? Yeah, there's always people you can miss. It's just and if you're working and you're busy, I mean, it's, yeah, those films are underrepresented. They play yeah. for a day or like a, a week or two rather than a yeah. month. Uh, have you seen Memories of Murder? I'm waiting for it on Blu-ray. There's some because there's so many other movies to watch. I was like, I'm gonna wait till that comes out. That'll be a Criterion or a Blu-ray or something. I at some hope point. so. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's uh, it's so weirdly one. in line with everything else and completely unlike anything else he's oh, done. Cool. It just fits right in. He's well, a friend of mine just worked with him on his on his new film. Um, oh man! And she said he was amazing. She's like, he's incredible. Yeah, there are no bad stories about Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, and he shoots just what he's gonna like. He'll stop a conversation. Oh, See, really? like a two shot. Oh yeah. He he like stop in the middle of the cut. We got and they're like, why? He's like, I only wanted it for that. Yeah, those the, couple lines. This is apparently how Edgar Wright shot Scott Pilgrim. Oh yeah, I heard piece about by that. Piece by piece. I heard. I was almost in that. How do you get there? Do you, uh, I don't know. How do you get that confidence? You were, well, who were you going to play? The I, I guess it was um, was it um, Karen Culkin? Was he in it? Yeah, Karen Culkin, yeah. boyfriend. I remember it was one oh, of the, okay. I was all, I was close to getting it. I remember wanted it so bad. I mean, that must be ten years ago now. Yeah, I just didn't get it. And, you know, go on. <laughs> I kept on living somehow. Sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I mean, God, you could write entire books on the act the roles that actors were up for and so oh, on. Oh yeah. And but well, and that brings us back to the game with Jodie Foster, right? Because she was originally cast as Douglas's daughter. Yes. Yeah. And then, even though they were like, I think it's eighteen years between them. Yeah. Douglas was uncomfortable with it. So yeah. he wanted her to be a sister, and she said no, and so they went with Penn instead. But I really like there is an alternate movie in my head with Foster in those scenes. That- totally, but I, I don't know. There's something about you got that femme fatale in Deborah Kara Unger, and if we have a, a sister who we also can't trust, mm. I like that it was guy girl. Yeah, that we couldn't. Tr- I don't know why. It's funny. I like that you got Sean Penn and you got Deborah Kara Unger. Yeah, it's, it's like Douglas with a brother does make more sense. Like that character somehow works, and him having to be an older brother to him somehow works because of the dad stuff. I like that male dynamic, mm-hmm. and it made Deborah Kara Unger's female femme fatale role stronger. I think. Right, it closes him off more too. Not to yeah. have another woman you can trust. Exactly. I wonder if you can trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I really like that, and made them coming together at the end, sort of. And it also even made the stuff with his ex-wife kind of palpable in a way too. And, and that was a nice little performance by that actress, too. That French actress. I can't remember her name. She was really good. Oh, we can look it up if you want. Who plays his ex-wife. We can pause this. I do this. No, wait, 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 wait. Let's just keep talking. I'll look it up. It'll take me two seconds. Sure. Anna Katarina. That's her name. Hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh, she was on Boardwalk Empire. Anyway. So, yeah. I thought she was fantastic. It's... Well, it's another one of those things too. If you cast the wrong person, if you get the, if you get somebody like I don't, I'm trying to think of examples where Fincher has misused an actor, and there really aren't any. Oh man, he he doesn't get nearly enough credit for working with no. actors because he's such a visualist through and through, and and that's what casting kind of comes down to too. It's like and I, like you know even and like with Arrival, like you even one line like I'll often be watching a movie and I'll pause it and I'll tell Georgina my wife like, you gotta come in and just watch this guy he's so good, and it's like one line like. Or, or like that person just said two lines and look how good they were yeah and the people who you don't think that they were actors you're like I don't even think they were actors like there was a great I, I, this was a bigger than a one line performance but I, I rewatched uh, Blood Diamond recently oh yeah and I was like god oh, that's a pretty good movie like it's a really good structural movie and David Harewood is in that from Homeland yeah I know and he plays the guy like the villain he's like he's a monster that's right 
And I was like, I didn't realize that was David Harewood. Yeah, I certainly... I, I thought that was, like, some guy. Like, he yeah. was so good in that movie. It was like 10 years ago now. Yeah, it was 2006. And I was like, wow, that was David Harewood. Like, so when people, like, you don't even realize that they're an actor. You're like, I don't know, it's just some guy. And then you're like, oh, no, wait, he's been acting forever, and he's British, and, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You forget, like... It was like when I figured out who Mark Strong was. Yeah, yeah, and you're it like... It took, like, five years of having seen him in a dozen movies. guy's been in everything, yeah. yeah. It's a weird thing when you're like, oh, geez, like, they're really, really good. I remember when I noticed Bradley Cooper in Wedding Crashers, I was like, that guy's gonna be a star. I don't know who that guy is. He's gonna be a star. Um, and it's kind of nice when they actually do become a star. Yeah. I remember Miles Teller saw him in Rabbit Hole. Oh, yeah. And everyone was like, what the hell's Rabbit Hole? It's like, there's this young guy in it, you gotta see... And I don't know how he got he got that role. He must have just auditioned and just got it because it was a nice role. Uh, obviously, yeah. Nicole Kim and a lot of this stuff. And I, I mean, I thought they'd cast him. It's so weird. I thought they'd cast him for because of, when I found out the scars were real. Because yeah. Because his characters survived a car crash. Yeah, and yeah. And I they, thinking that too, they sort yeah. of take it back. And it's like, oh, maybe not. But it just informed the, the audition somehow or something. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I love those casting stories. Yeah. You can't explain alchemy. But, yeah. Like, But when it works, it really is fascinating. I mean, again, it's like when... Um, uh, this just came up on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Somebody was talking about Gone Girl and, and how they hadn't watched it because Affleck was the lead and it didn't sound right. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. As soon as I read, as soon, I had. It's one of the rare occasions where I read the book before I saw the movie because okay. I, I usually try to see stuff cold. Yeah. And when I heard it was Affleck, my first reaction was, oh, oh, yeah. And there, and we both. This guy under media scrutiny. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? He's perfect for that. And it, it comes down to that head tilt thing where it's supposed to fake the smile and. It's like that. That's, I can't that. picture anybody else. I mean, you could have gotten someone else, but like, not only did Affleck know he could do it, but Fincher knew how he could frame it and yeah. package it. And again, this guy just his instincts are uh, Fincher's. I mean, are yeah. just terrifying to me. It's through the roof. He's. I mean, he's as good as you get. I think too. Like I, I asked Forrest Whitaker about him. I was like, "What was it like working in Panic Room?" He was like. 25 takes of everything. And I was like, every setup, like, he was like, every shot. Every shot was 25, sometimes 100. I was like, wow, he loved it. Four, four, it was yeah. great. It was fantastic. I can't imagine. Like, that movie yeah. is so tense. Yeah. To just level up to that energy every time over yeah. and over and over again. It's, it's all I'd like to try. I'd be interested to try that someday. I've never done it, but yeah, it's, it's heavy, man. What's your maximum? Like, what's that I've the, ever done? Yeah, what's the most you've ever done? Probably done in the in twenties for sure. I mean, you know, when you're doing one of those big like dinner table scenes or something, you will end up doing the scene fifty, sixty, maybe. Right. I've done a take of me probably twenty times, twenty five. Feature TV. In feature, yeah. yeah, where it's like, whoa, we just seem to be, and because you go weird, you go back and forth to being like, oh wow, I, you know, you didn't, you're like, I don't know, and then you do five, six, seven, and you're like, okay, whatever, I'm sure there's one in there. I always kind of have one in mind that I was like, I think that was the one I'll normally tell the director. I'm like, I really like the third one. Right. And kind of just to let, not that they're going to use it, but to see if they thought it as well. Right. Because the other thing is too, you're making the film together. And I don't want a director to come over and be like, you were so good. If they do, that's nice. Because mm-hmm. that's a positive thing. But I don't like it when they don't say anything. Because I feel like then I'm not part of the filmmaking process. I like someone to be like, hey, Norm, we got it. Right. Like, cool, great. You were not moving on because of time or whatever. Maybe that's just me being neurotic, but I just feel like it's more inclusive. And it's not about saying you were great. Like, if I didn't have confidence as an actor, as an actor I wouldn't be here. Sure. But it's more just about being like, we're in this together. We got it. And it's just all the communication. And 
I don't know, when you get up to 2025, it's like, you start to question yourself, and then at the end you're like, ah, fuck, I don't even care anymore. Yeah, I mean, do you have to, uh, like, on day two, do you just resign yourself to, oh, this is how he does it? I just... Yeah, a little. I wonder, like, With some scenes, it's not even always, directors not normally always like that. It's certain scenes. It's just like, oh, wow, I don't know. It's not just you, too, right? It's like, maybe it's a complicated camera move. Sure. Lighting package. There's a million different possibilities, but if you don't know what they are, it's going to weigh on you. That's why the most important thing on the set is communication. Mm -hmm. you need to know what's going on and it's actually Arrival was tough because it was in Montreal so everyone's speaking French I was like when is lunch? Like, you, know, <laughs> you don't know you're like I don't know what the hell anybody's talking about oh, yeah. I just love that a movie about communication is being filmed in different languages I know and like and none of the actors spoke French so we are like wait what? yeah, yeah. Uh, it, puts you, it puts you in the perfect headspace though it's exactly yeah. where you guys would need to be yeah yeah it does yeah and it's um, I, I don't Oh, I hesitate to get too much into Arrival because I know not enough people have seen it yet. But yeah. this is time to the DVD, the Blu-ray, and the 4K release, so at least they can go out and find it immediately. Yes. Please, because yes. it's great. Um, uh, how do you approach something like that? I mean, Like Arrival specifically? Yeah, what's the, what's the headspace for dealing with something where you're, most of the effects aren't finished or completed? I mean, you're reacting to the other actors around you, but you're also in a void. Yeah. Like, conceptually. Um, you know what? I've done some CG before, and I, I really think that, like, I never look at his acting as hard, because it's not a hard job. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's a it's a f- wonderful job. It's a fun job. Yeah. And there are challenges, but it's not hard. For me, that's why I look at it. I, I don't mean some cocky. I just, I just don't look at it. I don't look at it like that. It's more of a point of view I just don't take. But I will say that, like, um... It's, it, it, it's, it's difficult to figure out sometimes how to make it interesting and how to make it real mm-hmm. without distracting. If you're the lead, I've actually, when I'm the lead of something, I actually find it a little bit easier because it's all resting on you and you can kind of just go with it because you are the emotional through line. So with Arrival, I didn't really, the CG stuff, well, I didn't find that difficult really. It was fine. It's more like, how am I internalizing this thing to make it so that it's not just another guy in the film? I'm not just, uh, you know, a, a military guy. I don't want it to be like, yeah, he's the military guy. Which some people would say that because it's an easier way of saying it. I wouldn't be offended. But it's right. like, I want it to be like, no, it's someone with something at stake where they don't like this situation. And we get why they don't like this situation without me saying a word. And without me distracting from the story of Louise Banks. Right. Played by Amy Adams. Because you don't want to do that either. So it's knowing your role how it fits in and I've had to do, I always do that with a, with a part I always look at it and be like how does my role fit into the communication of the story not just the story the communication of the story because that's what film is yeah. it's not just like here's a story well, like I could tell you a story and mumble the whole thing like, right. you know what I mean it's, so then the story I, I, doesn't matter I have seen those movies exactly yeah, yeah exactly so then the story doesn't matter or I can do it and I can film it really shitty and it's all out of focus or whatever so it's the communication of it so it was like how can I do it and Arrival was that was the challenge for me of being like I don't like to do anything that's not interesting or not some way someone can connect to it and it means something whether it's good or bad or for just furthering the story I don't like the idea of being like here's the file sir right and that's not to say that you couldn't just say that line the way you say it. Maybe in, in one scene, that is how it is going to be. But it should come from somewhere, because everybody is a person. And everybody does have ticks, And everyone does have their own little things going on. Yeah. And it's not as simple as just being like, you know, he played the milkman. And he just came in and gave him the milk and walked away. Like, is he tired that day? Does he have a limp? 
Like, I mean, there's there's a hundred things that go on there. I think that's what separates the actors who are really passionate from the actors who aren't, from yeah. what I see. And in Arrival, too, you have the hook of every single character, and I know Denny thought about this because it's in, like, it vibrates through the film. Every single character is experiencing something that's never happened before. Yeah. So everyone has an idiosyncratic investment. Um, and, and with Whitaker, it's just this weird tension of, I don't know what's going on and I want it to be explained to me. Yeah. And that translates into impatience, which is such an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who came up with it, but that's a conversation you can have for an hour. Like, yeah. Just why is this, why is this take happening on this guy who we're meeting in progress instead of introduced into the story? Yeah. It's just like all of those things adding up in that film are so fascinating to me. I think so too. And I also think it's like the casting. There's something so... There's something sympathetic or just relatable about Forrest Whitaker. And on many levels, because even when he's playing, like, you know, someone like Idi Amin in, in Last King of Scotland, it's like, I still relate to him in some sort of way. And my favorite scene of his in Arrival is when he shows up at Louise Banks' office and sits down and he plays it. And just him looking at it, I don't know, there's some way I'm connected to him. I don't know what it is. And so I, I can't unlock why how yeah. the fuck he has that. He just has it. I think there's a weariness to him that comes through. Yeah, there's sometimes. like a, like a, it's in pan, it's all over Panic Room. Yeah, where yeah. Not only does he not want to be there, and he's exhausted, and he's tired, and he's scared. He's also carrying the weight of the stuff that's going. There's a concern, outside, right? He like carries. Oh, yeah, there's a concern, and that's why it's great casting by Denis because if he put another actor in that role who's just like like this tough military guy, you'd be like, oh. Like we, there's a care. Yeah, there's a real care there, and I think like that's what casting is so interesting, and that's why as an actor, I never, I don't take it personally. I've been rejected for as much as a 33 year old could be rejected because sure. you know I'm a filmmaker as well. I've been turned down. Uh, you're turned down more than a hundred times more than you weren't, but you can't take it personally because you you just weren't the thing for it. Right. Like there's, I had no business even being in a rival in a way. Because I'm not that typical military-looking guy. Like, I'm just not. That's not how I look. And, but Denise, I guess, thought for whatever reason I should be in it. And, I, and then I saw it, I was like, it actually works. That he's yeah. like a young guy. Like, it works. It's yeah. something about that that's just more interesting. Yeah, it's a good contrast to the hardened experience of, of Whitaker and the other people around. It's just, like, imagine the, the, the alternate version of that movie, the one that's less interesting to me, is the one where they get J.K. Simmons to play Whitaker's role. Yeah, and not they get a man he, to play Louise Banks. Yeah, and not that he's wrong. Yeah. Like, he could, like, it's possible, and yeah. there's a million different possibilities, but the sensitive emotional version that came out is the one that requires those people and you and everybody else to be there yeah. and make that movie with Denis Villeneuve. So exactly. that's what we got. And, and just yeah. think about that, like... How, how great do you think J.K. Simmons is? He's pretty great. Exactly. But he's used specifically. Exactly. More often and, than not. Right? And so there wouldn't be a slight against him that he wasn't in the movie. So okay. it's a weird thing with actors. Like, I get it, like, to take things personally. But, like, you can't because it's not about you. And and people, here's here's something I think it's false that you hear all the time. It's like, well, you don't get a part that's, you, you're personally getting turned in. That's like a, you. It's like, no, it's not. You just didn't fit in. Right. It's not that you weren't good enough. It's that you weren't the right thing. Just like if someone was going to be like, you know, if I was too tall for uh, my dance partner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, She's yeah. not like, you're not bad. You're too tall for me. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, my, my argument on that would be imagine the game with Clooney. Yeah. Like, he could just, do it maybe now, but 20 just, years ago, I just, yeah. It just doesn't work. And it's, it's nothing against him. And then, you know, there's certain people you couldn't see anyone else in that role. And it's like, 
it's a weird thing. I always like thinking about that of actors who were like, oh, they were they were offered that. Right. Interesting. Apparently, Edward Norton was offered Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan. I'm like, I could see that working. And then you hear other ones like uh, Matt Damon was supposed to play uh, Josh Brolin's part in Milk. That's and, right. That's like, right. and I'm like, wow, I can't picture that. I'm yeah. sure it'd be great. I think Matt Damon's amazing. Josh Brolin killed that. But like, yeah. it's just yeah, it's I funny. Don't know that that would have worked. Yeah, like you don't know, or would have in a different way. So yeah. it's like, it's you don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna meld. Like alchemy, like you said, is a weird thing. Yeah. So um, we're short on time this week, so I'm gonna bring up the final question, which is. What of, if anything, of the game have you borrowed or stolen or relied on? Is there anything that's like infiltrated your creative DNA from the film? Keep the audience guessing. Yeah. Audiences, like, look, uh, the other thing is I love getting into a movie within the first five, ten minutes. Scorsese, every single movie. Every Scorsese movie, we are in. Fincher movie, we're in. Villeneuve movie, we're in. You look at all Coppola, all Hitchcock, all of the Preminger, Lang, first ten minutes, we kind of know what's up. Right. There are exceptions, like I love the Thin Red Line, and that's like you know, kind of a, a meandering that's poem like a drift, yeah. But it's so brilliant, or like a David Gordon Green movie, like All the Real Girls, or George Washington, where we're like, I don't know what's gonna happen, and then sixty minutes, and you're like, Oh my god, that happened! So it works, but like for me, I like knowing the thing that's gonna come, and then along with that is keeping them guessing because you notice with people watching stuff. Watching movies, I think that's why TV is so popular. They need to watch the next episode. Right. So if you keep them guessing, they want to know the thing that's going to happen so bad that they can't contain themselves. And it's a weird thing that I think people have in general. That's why paperback novels are so big. Mm. She's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Who's the killer? And is she going to sleep with him? Like, <laughs> like you just got to know. And uh, and for me, that's when I write. I'm like, I want something that's something we felt like we've sat into. But then it's something different. Right. And it changes every single minute. That you're like, oh, I don't know what they're going to do next. Because otherwise, why am I watching the movie if I know what's going to happen? That, that's my personal right. That's my personal opinion. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got from the game. And I, I could watch it right now. <laughs> Would you be putting like a creepy clown puppet in any of your stuff? It'd be nice to put in a little... Like a little uh, signature? Yeah, a little... Uh, what do you call them? Uh, Easter eggs? Is that what they call them? Yeah, I guess they are now. I'd love to put in a little like a uh, guy talking to a newsman on the TV or something. Like when that happens, when he talks to the fucking newscaster, you're like, what? How is this going to happen? And then so many questions like, was that live? Was the newscaster... Was it, did he already record the news? Like <laughs> all these things that you don't need to be answered, but you want answers. Yeah. You want answers. Well, my home drive is so good. It's I, like, I need it to be answered. Yeah, I was going to say, with, with the game, at least you could probably get a commentary track where Fincher will just sit down and explain every single thing. Yeah. Well, Holland Drive, we're never going to get that. No, Lynch is never going to do yeah, that. He will just never happened. do it for us. Or like Inland Empire, he ain't going to yeah. tell us shit. Man. I don't think he can. No, I. it's tough. He's so back and forth. I love Blue Velvet, love Elephant Man, love some of the other ones. And then, like, Wall at Heart, some of the other ones I can't get into. Yeah. It's a fine line and... I think Mahal Drive is his masterpiece. It's the one where they follow their bliss, I think. Those are the ones that land, the ones where he's just... It sounds so silly to say David Lynch follows his bliss, but when, <laughs> yeah. he's, when he's chasing the thing that he wants to chase, yeah. as opposed to, ah, i got to find something to finish this one with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a fine line, man. It's a fine line. My thanks to Mark O'Brien, who you can see in Denis Villeneuve's Arrival, available now on VOD and arriving on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD this Tuesday, February 14th, from Paramount Home Entertainment. I think it's one of last year's best films, and I really hope it brings home at least a few of those eight Oscars it's up for later this month. Thanks also to Stephen Shin. He knows what he did. 
You can find Mark on Twitter at MarkO'BrienNL, all one word, and the NL is for Newfoundland. And you can find the game on Blu-ray and DVD in an excellent special edition from the Criterion Collection and a less excellent edition from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. But Criterion? Extras? Come on. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at SEMCAST, S-E-M-CAST, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. I promise not to analyze it for personal information and use that against you at some point in the future. Thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.